uh, blessed by that testimony? Yeah. Amen. Me too. Me too. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in tonight. I don't want to waste too much time here getting going. Uh, let's turn to Colossians three eighteen and nineteen. And if you're looking at the notes, you can go to boomerangchurch.org slash notes. Uh, or if you're watching right now on the live stream, uh, you should be have the notes to your right. And you can pull down these notes. The date, even though today uh, is the 13th, uh, these notes are on uh, May 6, 2015. So you can pull up. They're the same notes we had last week. We didn't get all the way through them. We'll be continuing through them. Uh, so, we've been taking a biblical look at marriage. We've been in um, Relationships and Marriage 101 uh, series here for about four or five weeks. I think this is the fifth week. And uh, last week we started, let's look at marriage, let's look at a biblical look at marriage. And one of the important things that we said, and this is, I want to make sure we point it out again, is that Marriage is important to all of us, whether or not we think we need help in our marriage, uh, relationships, or uh, anything, we need to understand what God says about relationships and marriage. And the reason why is, number one, it will help your marriage. Number two, if you're in a relationship, it will help you when you get married. And number three, this is probably the biggest one, and this is the reason why it applies to everybody, is uh, marriage is a picture of God's love for all of mankind. And if you don't understand the marriage relationship, marriage covenant, and the love that's supposed to go back and forth in a proper, godly, biblical marriage, then you don't really have a full picture of how God loves you and what you should do to love on Him. And so it will not only help your marriage and your relationships, uh, understanding this and getting to know this, but it'll also help you in getting to know God. And getting to know God is where every problem is solved. The more you know about Him, the more you get to know Him, the more your problems get solved. Because you start getting around Him and finding out, I don't have a problem. Whatever it appears, I don't have a problem. Because my answer is always found in God. And here's the other thing. Uh, there's one verse in here and that we'll be covering tonight. And it equates, it says, when somebody gets married, the two become one flesh. And Christ married the church. In other words, we as the body of Christ became one with Christ in order to get to know Him. We've got to know this church and know this relationship. Does that make sense? We've got to know this stuff and understand these things. Uh, so, uh, as we grow in God, we want to understand about relationships and marriage. And, and I'm really happy that, you know, I'm not just talking to everybody who's married now or is engaged. I'm talking to everybody. So, uh, Colossians 3.18 and Hebrews 13.4 gives you almost a summary of everything that we're looking at. Uh, number one, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now, the first thing is, and we talked about this, is what is true submission and authority? We've talked about that in other ones. Please go back and watch uh, part four, which was a biblical look at marriage, that first part of that. And we talk about what is true submission and authority. I'll just give you this snapshot, so if you hadn't seen it, you'll be able to keep up with us tonight. 
True submission and authority is based in love, not the world's perverted look at it. Here's, here's the thing. At what point, God is our true authority. And at what point, most people have the idea of an authority with their thumb on the person in submission. And so here's, here's the question that really starts to unravel the world's deception about submission and authority is this. At what point did God make you do what was right? Yeah. He's never done that. He gives you a choice. And so a true, a true authority is never going to make you do something. Now he'll show you and he'll, he'll lead you, right? But he's not going to force it on you. That's a true and real authority. That's the kind of authority that you should follow. You're in a church or you're in some kind of relationship. I'm not telling you that you need to get out right away, but you do need to understand what's a real authority and what's not. One that's constantly trying to force you into something versus somebody who's trying to show you the ways and say, hey, this is better. There is conviction by the Holy Spirit, and a lot of times people will confuse that with condemnation from the devil. You need to learn how to tell the two of those. You know, conviction's going to highlight, hey, you don't want to do that, you know. This is the wrong way to do that. You don't do that, you know. But condemnation will say, why are you even thinking about that? You're so bad, you know, and, and, or the pressure of the flesh. So you have to watch that, okay. So that's true submission and authority. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who uh, belong to the Lord. Now, in looking at that, as the body of Christ, we are in this position, the wife of Christ, in this context. So in other words, we ought to submit to Christ. Like wives submit to their husbands, we ought to submit to Christ. So getting to know marriage and relationships is going to help us see how we're supposed to be living, Right? Now here's the other thing, it says this, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. In other words, this is right. This is fitting for us to be submitted to Christ, wives to be submitted to their husbands. This is a right thing. It's a correct thing. But it is in love, that true submission and authority. Uh, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now see, and, and I've seen husbands, I've done this and treated my wife harshly before. We don't ever, ever want to do that. Never do we want to do that. At what point has Christ treated you harshly? Never. So we don't want, we don't want to do that either. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be held in honor among all. In other words... Uh, this is something I thought about after last week's uh, lesson. If you see married couples that are in and around you in this body or out in your workplace or everything, it says marriage is to be held in honor among all. That means all of us should honor that covenant, yeah. honor that relationship. In other words, uh, let, let's say that... Um, uh, do, 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 do. Let, let's say that... Uh, Barrett and George have already been married. November's come and gone, and they've already been married. I don't know her, but I walk in, I see the ring on her finger, and and let me ask you this question. Should I ever, not just as a pastor, I'm talking about as a Christian, should I ever flirt with her? No. Why? Because if I do that, I'm dishonoring that marriage. 
whether I'm married or not, I should never dishonor. I should always honor that union. I ask if I should ever flirt, and Nicole's like, mm, boy, mm-mm. <laughs> She's like, I don't know what you're asking. So, but see, we should honor that, and yet I've seen, I've seen guys, you know, I used to hang around years ago, I've seen guys, that they didn't care if somebody's married or not. They completely dishonored that union. We ought to be doing things to help one another, to build one another up. You see what I'm saying? Let, let's say same situation that, that Barrett and George... Are, are now married, and uh, if George watches, hey George, and so he is <laughs> awesome, hey, <laughs> uh, and so let's say that they're already married, right, and let's say that uh, George and I are hanging out, and uh, Barrett legitimately did something wrong, and he's fussing about it to me, right, and he has a right, you know, or not a right, but he's telling me a fact, something that actually happened, she did wrong. If I'm going to honor marriages, what am I going to do in that situation? I'm going to be like, yeah, man, she didn't have the right to do that. I can't believe she did that to you. Is that honoring that marriage? No, that's not honoring that marriage. That, that's actually causing there to be more of a division in it. I should be looking to build up unity in that. If I'm properly honoring that, then I'm going to be like, I know, man, maybe she did, and I get that, but you should still just love on her. Forgive her. Let it go. Y'all get back together and get back in unity. Let the Lord, the Lord will show her that stuff. I should be doing everything I can to help unity come back together. Now see, so this honoring marriages is not just in our own marriages. This is in every marriage that we come across. We should be honoring that and lifting it up. So uh, marriage is to be held in honor among all. It's a huge statement right there. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. All right, so this is very clear. We don't need to mess around here. You know, we don't, we don't need to be playing around. And let me just, you know, throw this in there too. And the Lord will show you what's right. And let me just, let me speak about the marriage bed for a second, okay? Um, the Lord will show you and convict you what's right and what's wrong. And, and... The marriage bed is designed by God, okay? And it was designed on one piece, a very large piece of it, to give married couples joy and fun. And it's okay. You know, some people are like, are we talking about sex? Yes, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking about, yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. It was designed for fun and joy between married couples. But the world and the father of this world will try to defile it. So he'll try to bring in all kinds of thoughts and things and ways. And you'll know if you're born again, the Holy Spirit will write this on your heart. And he'll start to show you what's right and what's wrong. And our job is simply to just go, okay, Lord. And, and let, me, let me tell you this. Let's say that you have been doing things according to the world and out of line with God. And this goes for anything, not just this subject, for anything. You've been doing things and it hadn't quite been right. Trust me when I tell you that when the Holy Spirit starts drawing you to new places, that it is worth it 
to listen to him because he will never ask you for something without replacing it with better. Because everything that the world and the devil has is a counterfeit of the best. And in other words, what we have been falling for in deception is the counterfeit. And if we will hand that to God and sow that into God, we will reap his best instead of the counterfeit. That's a, that's a good, that's tweetable. You should, y'all should get on that right now. Yeah, hurry up. Come on, let's get it up. No, all right, so we're having, having fun tonight. What was that? Nothing. Great. They got jokes. I'm going to have to preach to this section. Amen. All right. Ephesians 5. We went through verses 21 through 24. Let me just read these, uh, Ephesians 5, 21 through 24, to set the context here. I'm going to read it in the message translation, Ephesians 5, 21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Did you hear that? That's a really neat thing. Understand and support your husband in ways that show how you really truly want to support Christ. You see? The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. This is not a bad thing. The world has tried to make it a bad thing and and the ruler of this world has tried to make it a, a bad thing. That is Satan, that is the devil. He's tried to make the husband ruling in their households, a bad thing. This is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, it's in this that the power of God is released. When we understand true submission and authority and start walking down that path of God, all of a sudden the power of God is released in our homes, in our kids, even in our workplace because of some of these things. In every area of our life, when we start to line up with the order of God, The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Verse 25 in the message, uh, it'll be on down a little bit more there, Roger. Uh, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Go all out. Exactly as Christ did for the church. Did Christ go all out for you? Oh man, did he ever, right? Well, husbands, do that for your wives. A love marked by giving and not getting. It's huge. Christ's love makes the church whole. Think about this. A husband's love makes the wife whole. His words evoke her beauty. Husbands, your words evoke the beauty of your wife. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, 
He feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. All right. So now let's go into the New American Standard and verse 31, Ephesians 5.31. Okay. It says here, Ephesians 5.31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this is interesting because I've never really looked at this until today uh, this way. When Christ left heaven, he left his father to be joined with his bride, to become one with us. He separated himself. You see that? That's how strong his love was for us. And I'm, I, that does something. And I can tell you there's more revelation underneath that uh, than what I know right now, but I can feel it. I can feel the revelation on it. And I'm looking forward to the Holy Spirit revealing it. But I would just say, take that and meditate on it some. Yeah. Take it. Say it again. Yeah. Well, when Christ left heaven and left his throne, he separated himself from the Father to become one with us. There's a power of his love that's in that. That's, there's something really strong there. Like I said, I don't know the full depth of it, but I can feel it. I can feel it in my spirit. So, this mystery is great. And, and what? Verse 32. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. See, he's, he's telling us again, this is Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, I would say that these things can apply to one another. In other words, right here it's talking about the husband, but we each need to love each other as our own selves. Okay? This is a, uh, let me just put it this way, this is a characteristic of agape love, not just the husband to the wife. This is a characteristic of godly love, which should happen back and forth between the husband and the wife. Okay? So here's the other thing. Um, so he comes and he shows us that we are to separate. Jesus laid the foundation for us to say, all right, I'm leaving uh, my parents behind and I am joined as one together with my spouse. And let me, let me tell you this, one of the most, um, and this is no uh, disrespect to parents, but one of the biggest places you can get in trouble uh, in your marriage and in your relationships is reaching back to your parents and asking them for advice. Yeah. Now, you can ask, if they're moving in complete godly love, agape love, that can be a great thing. But most people in this world do not have a revelation of agape love, and that includes your mom and dad probably. Yep. And when they, you bring up problems, what's going to happen is, uh, who, who are they going to defend? Their baby. And so they're going to, if they don't understand agape love, 
And you bring a problem, and when you come bringing a problem, it's generally not what you did wrong. It wasn't your side of the two-sided equation. It's generally the other side, right? And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, he did this, he did this, blah, 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 and she did this, and, you know, guys, she did this, and she did this. So, and then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, my poor baby. Mm, poor baby. Can't believe he did that. Because they don't know that they should be honoring marriage. They're trying to honor their kid. But that's not really honoring the marriage because those two are one. And so see, when the, when the wife or the husband talks about their spouse, what they're trying to do is they're trying to draw a rip down the two that's now one. And a great example of that is in that movie Fireproof when he superglues those two plastic containers. He said... And if they ever came apart, they would be damaged. You know? Well, one of the quickest ways to hurt a, hurt a marriage or a relationship is start telling your problems to other people. You need, if you're telling your problems to other people, which can be very good if that person understands agape love, uh, unconditional giving, and they are, and especially if they're anointed to help shepherd your life. Okay? Uh, but I'm telling you, not everybody even in a pulpit is functioning in that kind of stuff. That's why you choose where you go to church wisely. That's why you choose uh, who uh, is your, where has God placed you very wisely, who is your spiritual leadership and counsel very wisely, because uh, without coming in a uh, just and righteous agape love, one that's going to honor that marriage and relationship, uh, you can get some bad counsel and it can do damage to that relationship very, very quickly, right? So, uh, one thing uh, here that's interesting and this is something that uh, I, I saw is this. When you come together in a marriage... You're not only leaving your parents behind, but let your parents represent for a second your fleshly past. In other words, I'm leaving my fleshly past behind and I'm not looking back at it and I'm not going back to it. I, I need to leave my fleshly past behind and become one now and in the future. Okay, so that means your old habits, you know, this is something I did wrong in our, in our marriage early on, was I didn't leave my fleshly past behind. And so I was, and I was struggling, and, and I'd, I'd go after God for a few months, and then I'd go party for a few months, and then I'd go after God for a few months, and then I'd go party, and I, and I didn't, and I'd go out, and I'd leave Nicole at home, and I'd go hang out with friends, and I was partying and doing that stuff. I wasn't leaving my fleshly past behind, and I sure wasn't acting like one. And it caused issues. Thank goodness I have a loving wife and a forgiving wife and a loving and forgiving and merciful God, but, and they helped me walk through that, right? But that was a completely wrong thing. I didn't need to go back to that fleshly, worldly past. I need to understand that this marriage represents, I'm leaving all that behind so that we can walk together as one in God. Amen. 
So in uh, the message, it says this, and this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two. They become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Um, look at this picture. Imagine if Christ left his father, but then he came to the earth and he picked up a fleshly sin. Would he have been able to save his wife, his church? And, and husbands and wives, we should take that in. I, what we do makes the other one beautiful or not, and it has an effect on them because we're now one. So when we bring sin in any way, in any form, any shape, we are affecting the other one. When I do that, it's affecting her. If she does something, it's affecting me. And guess what? Even my thoughts that I dwell on, it's affecting Okay, I'm redeemed from the curse, right? But I can also be obedient or disobedient and walk back under pieces of the curse by moving myself in those places. So when I get married, I need to understand that I'm not just affecting me. It's not just all about me. It's about us because we're one. Christ understood this, which is why he never sinned because if he had sinned, he'd have never been able to save you. He would not have been the spotless lamb. All right, now let's go to 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. It says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And what that's saying is, it's good for a man not to have a wife. That's what it's saying. But because of, verse 2, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. So what that's saying is, uh, it's a good thing if we can live a life and not be married. Well, isn't that interesting? That's an interesting statement. This, this chapter is very interesting. And what it's saying is, it's a good thing. And what Paul goes on to say is, but... And when he says immoralities, in other words, most people would not be able to handle living that kind of life, basically, is the context of it. And because they're not able to handle it, it's better for them to be married than not. Because if they weren't married, they would go after and fulfill the lust of the flesh, and that'd be a worse position than if they were married. Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to get into this in a little bit of detail. But it's important to understand that there is a level in God that says, all right, going after God with everything I got is very important. And uh, we need to understand that. Let's look at this. And it's talking specifically about marriage. Um, verse 3, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now, uh, let me just point out here in verse 3, uh, these are specific words, and it does, does not say the husband must fulfill his duty uh, to his husband or the wife to her wife. Okay, This is, this is a specific thing. 
Um, not trying to harp on that or jump on it, but these are specific words for a reason. And uh, in other words, you don't really have the relationship unless you have a husband and wife, okay? Um, the husband, uh, let me put it this way, you're not going to live in the promises of God without following the order of God. You're not going to live in the fullness of God without following the order of God. This shows us some of his order. In other words, this shows us some of his places of obedience, okay? The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Um, what duty are we talking about? Same one we were talking about earlier. The marriage bed, uh, yes, sex. That's what it's talking about. The husband must fulfill his duty. In other words, this wording actually says what? This is a responsibility. This is a responsibility. Okay? Listen to this next couple of verses. Because there's a lot of people who don't know this verse. Especially in the world today, they're like, nah, this is, this is mine. Well, that's, that's not what this is. The wife, listen to this one. The wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So what this means is, there's none of this, you know, <laughs> I can't even say what she just said. Oh my grace. I believe it. I believe it. If you'd have heard. So anyway. Now she's purple. I wish y'all could see her. I wish I had a camera right here. So she's matching her shirt. So here's the thing. Husbands, and, and I realize that this is, in our society, this is not always the high percentage, but husbands, you don't have a right to tell your wife, nah, I don't feel like it. And it goes vice versa. Wives, you don't have a right to say, nah, I don't feel like it. This is a duty. Is a responsibility. <laughs> you want me to say duty again? <laughs> we are such a mature place. Man, I, I preach on sex one night. Look at you. You're just falling apart. <laughs> you're just falling apart. I'm trying to think of duty, sex, you know, all, this, all these words real quick. Get it out of your system. Everybody bust out. All right. That's pretty funny. Thank y'all for thank y'all for bringing it back to that funny place. All right, um, and watch this. It says this, verse five: Stop depriving one another. In other words, if you hold it back, you're depriving. Except by agreement. Oh man, golly, this could preach. Yeah, you're gonna hear it. Hold on. Except, except by agreement. Except by agreement for a time. All right, listen. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. All right, now, let me just... In other words, it's okay for a husband and wife to come together and agree, all right, we're fasting uh, sex until uh, a certain time so that we can come together, pray, and go after the Lord. Okay, so and then they say, but then and come together again. 
so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, when we deprive one another and we continue on in that, the devil comes to tempt. And that's when he tries to mess up the marriage bed. That's when he'll throw, uh, for guys, that's when he'll throw ladies in your path. Women, that's when he'll throw guys in your path because you're depriving one another. And then you're thinking, man, I sure wish uh, we had not deprived one another. And you're moving on through your day, and then all of a sudden here's somebody that doesn't want to deprive you. Right? So what he's saying is, stop doing that and really get that verse 4 that says, look, your body is not your authority. It's not under your authority. In other words, mine is my wife's and hers is mine. Now, I've got to make sure that that doesn't get perverted. I've got to make sure because I've got to understand that what I do is representative of Christ and vice versa. Okay? So we have to make sure, okay, you're under my authority, but I need to be under an authority that's based in love. Okay? Make sure that I have an authority that's not under the thumb, that's not forcing, that's not doing anything. It's based in godly, unconditional love. Yeah. Okay? That's how it's right, and that's how it's beautiful. All right? Now let's go back and look at these same uh, verses, and I want you to uh, watch this. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Look at Christ and us. Christ and the church. This is a, the way God sees this. This is a must. The things that I need to be doing for Christ. I must do them. And the things that he needs to be doing for me. He must do them. Now I'm, here's the thing. I know one side of that equation. Is fulfilling his duty. And responsibility to us. He's fulfilling salvation. All the aspects of salvation. Healing. Preservation, protection, restoration, uh, provision, uh, deliverance. He's fulfilling all of that at every time. And watch this, uh, verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. The husband does. Alright? Well, who's the husband in the body of Christ? Jesus. Then who has authority to tell you what to do and to take your actions and make them what they should be doing. Who has the authority to do that? Jesus does. Have you been letting them or have you been saying, no, this is my life. These are my decisions. Have you been depriving him of your life? I told you to preach. And also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, this is some, there's some promise in here, because watch this. What did he give? He get, what did he give? He gave his body for us so that we might receive the fullness of salvation. That means, you know what salvation means. That means eternal life, provision, healing, protection, deliverance, right? All of these things. So these things are already given in Christ and He is not going to deprive us. But we have the authority to say, I need healing right now. I need provision right now. And He's given us that right in faith. 
I preach. That's some good stuff, I'm telling you. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time. So, in other words, he is, is he going to be depriving you of what he's paid for and who he is? No. No. And we shouldn't deprive him either. <clears throat> All right. Verse 6. Um, I, and in verse 3, 4, and 5 that we just read, I, I just put this headline, it's not yours anymore. Your body, it's not yours anymore. To Christ, your life, it's not yours anymore. It's not yours. You shouldn't see it as yours, as your decisions. We should give ourselves to Him wholeheartedly, 100%, in every area. It's not under my authority. I willingly, in love, give the authority of my life to Jesus. And that's when things get right. Good stuff. All right, verse 6. The uh, highlighted, the notes on this section I wrote is, it's good to keep God as your only focus and priority. Uh, but this I say by way of concession and not command, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man, listen to this now, because some people can get under condemnation because they're married, and God wants us not married. That's not what this is saying, all right? But it is saying that there is a higher way of living, and an even better way is what Paul's saying, when we can live a life that causes us to not be married. But, all right, it is saying that. And that's important to understand, because we, we should look at that and say, this is the kind of dedication and devotion that I should be living whether I'm married or not. This is right. Okay? That kind of dedication and devotion is what I should see as absolutely necessary for me to give him. Now, but watch this, verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. He wasn't married. And uh, however, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. Okay, now, what does that mean? That means you're talking about being married or being single. And he said, each one is a gift. Each one is good to the person that it's given to. If you have somebody that was given the gift of marriage and they try to stay single, that's not the right place. You have somebody that's supposed to be single in the eyes of God and they get married, that's not the right place. But once they're married, they need to stay that way. Okay? Because that's covenant. And like we talked in the very first one, you start talking about, uh, is it okay to break it? Just even thinking that way makes God, what you're asking is, is God a covenant breaker? He is not. He is very much a covenant keeper. Okay? But one is a gift for each person. Like I can remember, and I, I, sh I should have um, brought the poem, but... I wrote a poem for our wedding day and it basically started out for as long as I can remember. God has given me a dream. A dream of my family to be, you know, and my wife to be, right? And so, and as long as I can remember as a kid, I had a dream of my beautiful godly wife and family, all right? What was that to me? It was a gift. He was putting it in my heart. 
as a gift, and it was a gift to me. And it was the right thing. It was the right thing to have. All right, so <clears throat> verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. So in other words, remaining single is a good thing if you're not married or if you're a widow. That's a good thing. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. In other words, if they think the pressure is going to be too great and they can't stay holy, get married. All right? For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. All right? So in other words, what he's saying is there is a level that you can operate at that's saying I am completely 100% sold out for God. Some verses later on show us uh, what, he, what he's talking about. You should read this chapter, meditate on it some. Don't, uh, verse 10, let me just read this. Don't break covenant over what he just said. You are a light. Uh, verse 10, but to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. Okay? So if you're having this revelation and you're married and you're going, oh man, I missed it. Um, first of all, don't tell your spouse. Um, second of all, <laughs> second of all, you need to understand that it's not God for you to step out of it now. I've, he I've heard preachers that have told people to step out of that stuff, and they are wrong. They're wrong. And, and I've, I've seen people, I've heard stories of people that have stepped out, and they're wrong to do that. Okay? But if she does leave, she must remain, talking about the wife, she, uh, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce the wife. So in other words, even though one way may have been better and maybe you missed it, it's not God for you to step out of that covenant now because that's not who he is. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. Okay? So let's say, uh, baby, will you come here for a second? So let's say that she's an unbeliever, right? Heathen. Let's say that she's an unbeliever. Now I'm walking in this revelation. I am a believer. You know, my God's telling me, don't leave her. Stay with her. If she'll stay, stay with her. And why? It says here, and a woman, uh, it says, he must not divorce her. Verse 13, and a woman who has an unbelieving husband, he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. Okay? Don't force him to leave, and don't just be okay with it breaking up. That's not just okay. And it says this, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. So in other words, if there's an unbeliever in the mix, one of them is the light, and it helps shine the light on my life. Number one, now uh, if she's the believer and she's the light and I'm the unbeliever, now what's happening is I constantly have the light of God shining, and definitely our children do, okay? Otherwise, you've got a whole mess of problems. with a, Think about you've got an unbeliever and a believer in a marriage, and that can present problems. Imagine if they're divorced. How many problems it can create in that kid, right? So now 
stay with them. If they'll stay, stay with them. Now that believer's shining light on the unbeliever. Well, and I may, if I'm the unbeliever, I may come to the Lord, right? I may change my ways over time. But at the very least, you're doing what God said to do and you're saving your children. Thank you. It says, now, yet, verse 15, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether, whether you will save your husband? You don't know that. You don't know that or, or you don't know or not know. Okay? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. It goes on in the next few verses after 17, basically saying, whatever way that they were called into Christ, let them continue. And the point is, if you find yourself now, you're getting this revelation, you're getting this teaching on marriage, you realize there's some stuff off. There's some pieces out of joint. This is not the order of God. He's not saying to break out of that covenant. He's saying stay where you are and be the light. Okay? Then let's drop down to verse 24. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, and let me just say this, if you're not, if you're not married uh, and uh, you, know, you still feel that you may be uh, going, uh, having a gift from God in a spouse, don't seek them. Seek God. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness first. And all these things, including a spouse, if necessary, will be given. If God's not a respecter of persons, if Adam was about the father's business, right, and God created a spouse for him, he, if you'll get about his business, he'll bring the one he created for you to you. Okay? You just let that happen. You don't have to seek it. This world teaches us to seek those things. Don't. But if you married, what you're trying to do is say that you know more and more about the plan of God than God does. That's pride. And that's how many people get into the wrong relationship and the wrong marriage because they're out there trying to seek something that only God should bring to them. Okay. But if you marry... You have not sinned. It's not a sin to get married. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Now, this is important to recognize what he's talking about. He says, but I say this, brethren, the time has been shortened so that, that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. In other words, you've seen the verse where it says, in heaven they're not given in marriage like they are here. In other words, the way that we're given in marriage here, that's passing away. And it's 
based in a form. It is a picture of God's love for us, but it, I would say that it's in a world that's corrupted. Okay, And this desire that you have in this world, in a world that is basically under the, under the curse, brings with it some baggage. Okay, And so here's one of the things that happens. My, it's right for me, it's godly for me to give more attention to my wife than I could if I wasn't married. So as soon as I get married, some of the attention that would go to God has to go to her, and it's godly to do so. Okay, So I've taken that attention and effort, and now it's divided. Now, he's saying this is not a sin, but there is something that says... Stop trying to do things the world's way. Stop trying to gain possessions. Stop trying to, to gain a wife or a husband. Stop trying to do all this stuff in the world's plan and just give yourself to God. So if you're married, you can apply this in, I need to stop going after worldly things. If you're not married, then you need to seek the Lord and say, you know, if he wants me to be married, he'll bring that person to me. He's created that person for me. I don't have to worry about it. So, and then it says this, um, very important stuff, verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And this is true. In other words, <coughs> excuse me, he's telling us a truth about how this works. Okay, and, and no matter how we want to say, no, nah, that's not, I love the Lord so much. No, when you're married, you are concerned about the things. If you're doing it right, you're concerned about the things of your spouse. It's the way it is. Okay, so he's saying, don't just jump into things. That's the big takeaway from it. Don't just jump into stuff. And don't just go about it the world's way. Go about it God's way. Stop trying to make it happen without God. Verse 34, uh, he's, he may please his wife he's, and his interests, the one who's married, their interests are divided. Verse 34, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit and the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world how she, I'd say, or he may please their spouse. Okay? Listen to this as... Um, Verse 35, this is a very powerful verse. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So what we all can take away from this is, what does the Lord want from us? Whether married or unmarried, he wants to secure in us an undistracted devotion to Him. Now, as a married couple, are there going to be distractions? Uh, yes, there's going to be some distractions just to each other. And that's okay. That, that is godly once you're married. But what we should do is we should join forces together to keep those distractions at a minimum and secure 
undistracted devotion to the Lord as much as possible. We should work on that together. Okay? But at the same time, I should recognize that I can't go, uh, well, I'm being holy right now, so I can't give you what you want. That's ungodly. Okay? I, and a lot of times people do that. They'll try to, try to pull God into the situation. No, this body is under her authority. Hers is under mine. Okay? So, you can read the rest of it. It does go on to, you know, it talks about the virgin and it talks about um, the uh, kids. I would say this, um, parents, it's not okay to teach your kids that every one of them should be married absolutely. You should not do that. You should teach them that God may have given them the gift of marriage or he may have given them the gift of being single and being completely undistracted in the devotion to God. You should teach them that. It's wrong for us to teach that everybody gets married. That's not what the Word talks about at all. And we should show them how to pray, seek the Lord, and know what that is, and be led by Him to know what those things are. Okay? And then we would go on to teach them that if you're going to live that life, then one of the things that we should do is make sure that we are putting down the flesh and we learn how to put down the flesh so that the flesh doesn't lead us to a corruption because we never got married. Okay, So we teach, here's the thing though, a lot of times we haven't known how to do that ourselves and so teaching our children has just been a complete afterthought if it was a thought at all. But we really need to ramp up this devotion to the Lord as Christians, as believers, to start stepping into some of these deeper things of God. Amen? All right. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your promises. And Lord, thank you for your relationship with us. You are not withholding from us, Lord. Praise God. You are not withholding from us. We receive everything that you have bought and paid for for us to have. Lord, thank you. And we will not withhold from you. Lord, in our lives, we will not withhold from you. This life is yours, Father. This body is yours. These decisions, this comfort is not mine, but yours, Lord. In every way, in everything, I give it to you. And Lord, just from us, receive all of our decisions as a beautiful worship, a sweet-smelling savor in your nostrils, Lord. Thank you for letting us offer to you our lives in every way, especially in our marriages and relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a great night. We love you. Turn